0: Welcome to episode 35 of Art Pays Me. Before we get into it, I want to uh, give James Wilson a shout out. Uh, Thank you for the encouragement uh, this week and glad you're enjoying the show. This week I have Lola Brown. She's uh, one of the top travel writers in Canada who happens to be a friend of mine. I reached out to her about doing the podcast when she tweeted about Some of the challenges she faced as a mother with a business and as a father on a similar path, I wanted to bring that conversation to the podcast. We also talk about how Lola got her start in writing, how she promotes her work, and how charging what she's worth means she can provide more for her children. Uh, This is a little bit of a ranty episode and, you know, it's a little deep at times, but I really enjoyed the conversation, and I hope a lot of you will, too, and connect to what we're saying. Let's get into it. What up, artists? My name is Dwayne Jones. I'm the creative director and founder of a lifestyle brand called Art Pays Me. This is the Art Pays Me podcast, and I'm passionate about finding ways that people like you and me can make a living for ourselves off of our creativity and you know, maybe we can make the world a better place at the same time. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome to Art Pays Me. We got Lola this time. You know what? Hello. I was going to say you're Lola Augustine because that was the last time I probably talked to you in real life. Is that what you said? Well, that's just my
1: up? Twitter handle and my email and everything. It's Lola Augustine. Just because Lola Brown was taken as a domain like 15 years ago when I tried to get one. So uh, I just use
0: my middle name. Gotcha. Gotcha. So Lola Brown. My
1: first name is Lola
0: Augustine Brown. Oh, okay. So that's your middle name. Ah, got you. Yeah. Um, fun fact, my first name is actually Ver, um, not Dwayne. So Dwayne's my middle name.
1: Which, oh.
0: Yeah, that causes me a lot of problems.
1: Why? Why did you change it?
0: I didn't. Um, it's one of those weird things where... I blame my parents. They just that's what you they just started calling me that and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> so people are like, Why are you use your first name? I'm like, I don't know. My parents just never called me by my first name.
1: Well, I I run into problems because people book flights for me for work under mm. Lola Augustine.
0: Oh jeez. Yeah.
1: So I'll get to the I'll get to the gate and they'll be like, Uh that's not what it says on your ticket. And I'm like, Oh uh, da, da, da. and then I have to go through that. <laughs> I've never not been allowed on a plane, thankfully. But <laughs>
0: Okay, so Lola, what is it that you actually do?
1: So mostly I'm a travel writer and an editor for various publications. I do a lot of editing work for content branding stuff like for National Geographic. I do a lot of stuff for their offices in London, but I also write travel stories for um, the Globe and Mail, uh, NationalGeographic.com, WestJet Magazine, and various other places
0: and you're currently based in Truro.
1: yes which is like a tiny little town in well it's big for Nova Scotia right it's the second largest settlement I guess we'd say because it's not a city
0: yeah town I I think of it as a town
1: yeah it's a town the town of Truro yeah but it's small
0: (laughs) so like in this internet age uh it that doesn't matter so much or do you find like no
1: it's never, it's never mad the only thing that matters for me is how close i am to the airport and i'm about 45 minutes
0: oh wow i so,
1: okay. i just looked it up there's 12,000 people that live in my little town okay okay <laughs> yeah but you can live anywhere right like i've never worked for anybody in nova scotia but i've been living here for 11 years
0: so most of your clients, all of your clients come from from away.
1: Yeah, mostly um, Toronto, New York.
0: Mm. You know what though? This is kind of where I feel like my business is headed. To be completely honest, um, oh, right. I just find that uh, in the type of work that I'm looking for, or and the type of clients for my clothing brand, are some of them are based here. But I, the more I talk to people who are based in other cities, they those cities tend to gravitate more to what I, I'm doing. Um, so for me, it's like figuring out how to crack that nut. At this
1: Well, for me, it's some money. Nobody here pays enough.
0: Well, there's, that is the other <laughs> part of it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> people really want to pay peanuts. And um, you know, I've, I've, I'll go for interviews, say like at tech companies here, and I'll tell them what my hourly rate is. And they'll be like, Oh yeah, but so-and-so does it for 20 bucks an hour. I was like, well, hire so-and-so because that's not what I'm going to work for. So there's very few people I have, I have one actual client here who pays really well, but mostly my clients are away, but I, especially right now, I'm loving getting paid in American dollars. That's for sure.
0: Mm. Yeah. So actually I was, um, I, I came from Bermuda and my parents, you know, we, we got paid in American dollars there. So when I moved here and, or whenever I was on vacation in Canada, it was like for that little first couple of years before I adjusted, I was like, man, I feel rich up here. Um,
1: yeah. But then like, you feel so poor when you go elsewhere.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so where did you grow up?
1: Oh, I grew up in London. And in the West country of England. Um, but I've been living in Canada for 22 years now. So most of my adult life, I've been in Canada, actually. And I am a Canadian.
0: Okay. Yeah, I still haven't done the citizen thing. Um, got to get on that.
1: <laughs> well, you're not a citizen yet. You've been no, here so long.
0: I know. I know. You've got to
1: vote, man. These votes are getting, it's getting dangerous in this world. We've all got to cast our votes.
0: Literally that's what made me realize like I have to get my shit together and and uh and be a citizen because I have no say. Like I just I just have no say. Yeah.
1: And <laughs> I also feel like, you know, borders are closing. Yeah. Get those citizenships when you can, right? Like things are not getting easier for people in terms of mobility.
0: It's true. And um uh I actually ended up having to get I I went to Costa Rica for my brother's uh Bachelor party, and they almost didn't let me get on the plane because they insisted I needed a visa to go there. Um, right. I needed a visa to travel through the States. That's what it was. And I was like,
1: Yeah, yeah, the visa thing.
0: Right. But I'm not a UK citizen. So, but my passport mm-hmm. says UK on it because it's from Bermuda. So I'm like, Bermudians don't need this visa for the States. And they were like, no, but you're a UK citizen. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> so, well, and- you know,
1: I forget that the, the freedom we, you have with a Canadian passport is is fantastic. It's great. I mean, I'm, I think a UK passport was pretty good too. Like, I can't remember. I haven't actually renewed one in so long. But I was in Belize recently and I was chatting with people and I was like, yeah, you should totally visit Canada. And they re- replied, well, we can't visit Canada. It's not that easy. And the same as, you know, there's lots of countries where your passport doesn't actually give you access to a lot of places. I didn't even think about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Canadian
1: yeah. passports have.
0: Yeah, like Bermuda, usually the Bermudian passport has been golden. But when I saw that, I was like, you know what? I can be a dual citizen. So get the Canadian passport and just, what I, yeah. if I, they give me shit, I just say, take this one instead.
1: Yeah, right? And it's all very James Bond, and you have multiple passports too.
0: No, I know. That would be a, a, a super flex. I wouldn't mind having. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, what actually made you start writing? Did, and yeah, I, I was reading a little bit about it, but it seems like a very interesting story. So.
1: I, like, well, I, I literally fell into it because I was training to be a social worker. I thought that was where my career was headed. I worked in group homes with autistic youth and I was going to do a degree in social policy and then a master's in social work so I could get to a point where I was managing group homes or managing services. And then I was in my second year of university and there was a book at the university bookstore called Magazine Writing, The Hobby That Pays. And I thought, that looks interesting. So I picked it up and I followed the instructions in the book and it even had a list of places that were good to send articles to if you're a first-time writer. And I sent it to one. And then I'd forgotten about it. And a couple months later, I got a phone call. They offered me a hundred pounds for the story and they offered me a column. Uh, and that was the first thing I'd ever done. So it just kind of seemed like that was something I was supposed to do. And from there, it rolled very quickly. And I was writing for, um, did you have uh, FHM magazine in Canada at any point? Or was that just, I think there was an American version. It was kind of like Maxim in the I UK. I you
0: remember it. Right.
1: So I went to that and then I was writing for the independent and the times and the guardian in England about student issues. And it just rolled from there. And I just, I just became a writer. So I was like, Mm, this is way more interesting and fun than changing adult diapers and developing care plans. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to, yeah, I just pursued that. For a long time, I still did some social work stuff and I worked with kids and I ran teen programs in Vancouver Um, But eventually I gave up working regular work in, it would have been 2016.
0: Mm, Okay. Cool. So like before you started the writing, did you ever have any sense that you might be interested in pursuing creative things?
1: Uh, I'd always really like doing arty crafty kind of stuff. And but I didn't really, I didn't think that was my path. I didn't really have any support to do that. I was always really pushed into doing academics. My mom wanted me to be a doctor, but I really wasn't that kind of smart, you know? So, uh, no, I didn't. But my grandmother says she has a magazine that I made when I was eight and I told her I was going to be a writer then, but I don't remember that.
0: Mm Hmm. Okay. (laughs) So like, how does, a how do you promote yourself? Is it like all word of mouth because someone sees an article and they recommend you like, how, How do you get the word out about what you do?
1: So now I would say that most of my work comes to me through referrals, which feels like a really good place to be. Mm. I have a lot of editors approach me because they have heard about me or somebody said to them, you should contact Lola. But until probably I would say five or six years ago, most of my work came from pitching, which would be cold pitching to people, sending them an email, introducing myself, saying this is who I've written for, this is what I want to write for you. Um, but it's a really depressing game, you know, using you an awful lot of pitches and don't hear a lot back. So it's, you know, like you're throwing darts at a board and hoping some of them stick. Mm-hmm. And I still do a fair amount of that. If I want to break into a new market, I'm still sending pitches like coming up with an amazing idea. I'm writing this killer email that gets their attention. Um, I have to say that it kind of it, it, it snowballs so the minute you've written for one or two big publications it gets a lot easier to get in other ones so sometimes say I'll have a story in WestJet magazine in the seat back and an editor will reach out and be like oh I forgot you were there like could you do me something on this so
0: that's great
1: and then having things like National Geographic in my email signature I think makes people reply to me more often than they used to too
0: gotcha gotcha
1: i still i still pitch like every other writer to try to get my name out there and, and get stories sold
0: mm. so like do you often sometimes you, you just come up with a concept and say this is a story i think should be told and i think your publication would be the one to." That...
1: yeah yeah i like I, I do really tailor things to each publication and i think maybe some people just don't do the research, they, they come up with an idea and they think it's a brilliant idea and somebody's gonna publish this and they just start sending it out but they don't actually think about who the target demographic for that magazine is, who the advertisers are, whether that magazine runs those kind of stories, You know, they don't put that research in, you really have to target it to what you're doing.
0: Okay, you know what, I'm, yeah. I'm gonna steal this approach for when I reach out to uh, retailers for my brand actually.
1: Yeah. Well, you, if you do that research, it's kind of like, if you imagine someone's for an editor, just say, okay, a recent interaction I had with Chatelaine magazine, for example. Mm-hmm. So I had a certain to Chatelaine magazine about um, whether we should care more about where our data is. And um, they got back to me. And I, I have a long relationship with the editor because she used to work with today's parent. She got back to me and she said, look, honestly, our, our readers aren't interested in tech stories which, you know, I'm, I'm lucky I have a relationship with her because she might not have just replied otherwise. Mm. Uh, and I, I replied and said something like, well, you know, I was actually going to pitch you an essay on sex toys, but, you know, I, don't, I didn't know whether I should. And then she emailed back. She was like, I want you to write about sex toys. So now I'm doing a 1,700-word piece on sex toys for them, right? <laughs> so um, that was actually a really bad example of pitching to the market. But I did think it was a good story and it needed to be told about how women give their data away on social media and stuff and how it comes to bite them in the arse when they go for jobs or relationships and that kind of thing. So, um, anyway, sorry, that's a tangent. Usually though, I really do look like how I broke into WestJet magazine. For example, I studied the magazine. I studied back issues. I went through and I think maybe actually the first thing I pitched them was that Bermuda piece you saw, right? You know, I wrote a three days in Bermuda thing. Yeah. I went back through back issues. I saw they had never done a three days in, which is one of their regular slots on Bermuda. So they hadn't written about Bermuda for three years. So I knew that they might be interested in Bermuda because they flew there. And then I um, wrote a very detailed pitch, which I don't always do, especially if I have a relationship. And I targeted to the right editor. I found out from someone else who the right editor of that department was. So you've done the work. It shows, I I was able to say to them, I don't don't think you've written about Bermuda for the last three years, that I can see. So they knew I'd looked at the magazine. So I feel like an editor's already been like, okay, this person's not just blind pitching me, they're doing some work here. And I pitched specifically for what they do. So that was how I kind of got in there. Wow. Yeah, but that was for you, that was quite a lot of work, but you do the work on the outset and I guess your pitches are more likely to land where they're supposed to go.
0: Right, right. So, and you mentioned that first job, they paid you a hundred pounds. In terms of figuring out your rates, like how did you figure that out? Did you just go based on that first job from then on?
1: No, they just, they, they offered me that and that was it. Like I didn't even think about negotiating. I was just so grateful to have sold anything. And then from then on, I just went with whatever people offered me. So now I'm at a point in my career where so I guess what I do now is I work out what the hourly rate I'll be getting for a job is. Mm-hmm. So it used to be it used to be the standard in North America that a dollar a word is what you got paid for copy for magazines and new, magazines anyway. And that figure never really changed since the 80s. It's still like a dollar a word. You're like, "Whoop, that's great." But now you kind of have to work out how much something takes. So say I get offered a job and I'm getting offered say $2 a word, which is huge, right? It sounds huge. And so you've got a thousand word piece, but if it's a magazine that has like a six step editorial process and you're still doing questions about that story three months later, that $2 mm-hmm. a word has probably gone down to like, you know, a couple of bucks an hour. You have to kind of work it out as to how much, rep- I guess the pain in the ass factor that comes into all these jobs as to how much you can take them on. Gotcha. Does that make sense? I don't no, it, does.
0: it does because, you know, for me, uh, from the design perspective, I've never, co- well, I'm still working on it, but it just seems like it's an evolving thing for me. I keep messing up the pricing uh, part and end up being in that same situation where by the end of the job, I've basically been paid $2 an hour. And I'm like, shit.
1: Right. Well, this is the problem as well. I think that there's, when you're self-employed, And I don't know, Dwayne, but I feel like this is a bigger issue for women than men who tend to be more assertive with this stuff. You're always trying to be nice and trying to be good to the client, right? And and not really looking after yourself. So, for example, my rate, if I was going to do writing for a a tech company, I tend to charge 90 an hour right now. Yeah. And that way, I'm billing that with, with FreshBooks, which I use for everything. I use FreshBooks for my billing, and I really like that. I'd set the timer and I'm not getting ripped off and I'm charging them for the hours done. Um, but something really interesting that somebody told me last year that kind of changed my perspective on things is that when you're billing people for the work you're doing, they're not, you're not getting billed for the thinking time, the time no. you respond to emails they send when you're not actually working on their projects, et cetera. And so somebody said, always bump it up by 10 to 20% on your bill. Yes. And I I've started doing that and it's, It's right. I'm not ripping somebody off, but I wouldn't have thought to do that before because I felt like I had to account for every second I was actually working on their project.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Uh, that is, that is great advice. And it's something that I definitely also consider. I just, I recently had an issue where the client wanted a really small thing. The job was already done and they come back to me for, and I, this was one of those jobs where I completely botched my timing (laughs) and oh, that's like, I've been told that I have a lot of um, I don't and I don't see this as a negative group, actually before I say this but you know even my wife and I were talking about this the other day like I have a lot of female um, traits generally so if you're saying that the nice thing is a female thing I guess I might have that <laughs> because I that's partly why I undercharge as well um, Right. I'm always trying to give them the best value and the best, whatever. But then it always yeah. ends up being that they want more work than we had originally agreed to. I end up, you know, just agreeing to do it. and this this time they came back to me after the project was wrapped, I said, "Nope, this is what I'm charging. And yeah. like, but it's just a tiny edit. And I'm like, yeah, but you're not considering all the stuff I put in before that. You're not considering.
2: The fact yeah. that I'm
0: emailing you right now, the fact that this, you know, th- I have to file this on my computer. There, there are so many little admin tasks that happen behind the scenes yeah, yeah. for like one small edit. And well,
1: just making changes to a blog or something or a blog post is right. is half, half the time, right? So, do you do you have a contract that specifies how much you'll charge after project rates?
0: Yeah, I. This was new, so this is something that yeah. I just. Um, because I just got so tired of getting burnt this way, I finally just put that in there. And
1: yeah, so don't you find though that the projects that you end up building, like, I I have found historically that the, the work that I'll take because I'm I'm like desperate for cash or I'm doing someone a favor and I charge them a lower rate always ends up being the biggest pain in the ass.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Because like you, like I said, I had already done some free things for them a lot, yeah. and they're like when I decided to charge my full rate for this small thing after all of doing all of those favors, they were kind of like, this is ridiculous. And it was was a bunch of back and forth over whether or not it was fair for me to charge this thing. And it's like, I can decide to charge what I want to charge. To charge.
1: You know, we're, we're grown adults, we're old. Like, I'm not a young person. But, right? I'm that's true. <laughs> I do not have the time in my life to be charging stupid money. Like, my time is so valuable because I have three children. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> because I have three children, I do not have the time to fuck around on people's jobs for free. I do not have the ability to give my time for less than it is worth. Because if you step back and you stop doing those jobs, who dick you around and don't want to pay you what you're worth, it's really hard at first to say no to that money because the money's there and it's on offer. But mm-hmm. if you step back and you can actually take the time to then pursue the work that is going to pay you what you're worth, it's going to be so much better for your business.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, and, and that's the other thing. It's reminding yourself that you don't need them as, is, is something that uh, I have to, also remind myself too like the grief is not worth it so that was actually a perfect segue because the next thing i wanted to talk about was we both have kids you have yeah. three now, yeah two and we you know what sparked the inspiration for me like wanting to have you on the show was you know on twitter we, we started talking about the challenges we face as parents and business owners but also the added note of just being creative individuals and you know, humans that just want to have fun sometimes. Fun that doesn't necessarily involve kids. Uh, yeah. So, like, how What? How do you manage your business with having kids?
1: So, I feel like most days I feel like I don't do it very well. I feel like everything's half-assed. I feel like I'm never present enough because I'm always working. Um, and then I feel like sometimes... I'm not able to do the job as well as I would like to, because I have kids. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's a real struggle. Um, I will say that my business is very, you know, I'm very successful as a freelance writer though. I feel like I am breaking my back to do everything because I want to do everything as well. Um, as a freelancer, I've never had maternity pay or anything like that for people listening outside of Canada. We get maternity pay here. It's Mm -hmm. great. You have to have a job, a regular job, not a freelance job. Um, so I don't have the ability to take any time off that's paid. So I've never been able to slow down. And also I haven't wanted to slow down because I feel like the career I'm in, if I said, okay, I'm just going to step back for a couple of years and raise my children. I'm not going to be able to just jump back in have those same contacts and keep the work going. And, and I don't want to, I love what I do. I don't want to stop working at any point really. I love writing and I don't want to stop that. That was a really long answer. Did I answer
0: that question? <laughs> no, you, you did. I'm gonna dig into it. So you, you I'm in a similar boat and I don't want to retire. Are you that's is that what you just said, basically?
1: Yeah. I don't wanna I mean I'm sure you don't want to give up the stuff outside of your day your day stuff, right? Because that's the stuff that keeps you alive and fires you up, I'm guessing.
0: Yeah, exactly. So like when for me, like my day job is in information management, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. But my my art, my um, creative um, pursuits, those I also consider my work and my job. And I never want to retire from that. They're they're a lifestyle for me as much as they are a career path, which is what makes it challenging because you get home from a nine to five. And now it's like for the average person that I talk to, This is the day, this is when I get to watch Netflix. This is when they kick up Uh their feet. This is when they can do whatever. But for me as a, and I don't wanna, I never wanna be that dad who is just the title. Um, So I'm I'm super involved. So I come home from work. The first thing is usually one of the kids' activities, whether it's dance, piano, basketball, whatever it happens to be. Uh, and somewhere in there we're trying to figure out how to get the kids fed. And then after all of that rigmarole, it's like 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, and it's like, I guess it's time for me to work on my business. Or I'm working on my business while the kid is in practice doing something and I'm trying to squeeze out an hour of design work or an hour of emailing or updating my website or whatever the hell else needs to be done. Um, and then you just get to a point, you know. Someone messages you and says, "We've got this party thing; you should come to." And you're like, ah, "Party?" <laughs> so it's yeah. like, you know. And you start finding, at least for me, I start finding myself dreading having, um, dreading everything. Even the idea of having fun is not appealing. The idea of working on my my business sometimes is not appealing sometimes I'm like, I don't want to do dad things right now. I just want to watch a movie. And
1: Well, there's only so much bandwidth in your brain, right? Like, I, I know that, if you've seen that there's that analogy, like the four pots on a stove, you have four pots on the stove and only two of the rings, like, you, you can't have all the rings on at once. And there's like, there's health, there's family, there's friends and there's work. Yeah. And for me, um, friends and health definitely suffer. I would love to get to the gym every day, but I just don't, I don't, you know, that doesn't, but I wouldn't love to get to the gym. I feel like I should get to the gym every day, but that doesn't happen. Um, and friends, like one of my best friends, we meet at the big stop, like the truck stop, for breakfast every two months, and that's probably I see her more than most people. Mm. That's the only way. And we've usually got a kid with us or something, and we have to meet at eight because we have to be working for night. Like it's it's nuts. Like there's so little time for that stuff, and I do worry that by not tending those friendships, once my kids have grown they won't be there and nobody's going to want to be my friend anymore.
0: That, that is a, a concern of mine all the time too. And you know, you watch those movies where you see those people who always prioritize. I get a lot of my life lessons from movies, by the way, um, <laughs> you know, you see those movies. So much. You
1: stay up to one o'clock watching because that's the only time you have to yourself.
0: Yes. <laughs> yeah. And then I can't, then I don't sleep and then I have to get up early the next day and I feel like a bag of trash.
1: Yeah, so, yeah. Well I don't sleep because I, I stress so much about money and all the five million things going on. And then my four year old still wakes up at five every day.
2: Uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> Apparently, well, is so much fun.
0: I I how I mean, so
1: much I, fun it's gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, it's it's crazy. So like sometimes, you know, when I, I see these horrible articles or tweets or whatever, um, when someone is bashed for not wanting to have a family or have children. I'm like, you know what? It's, it's very, it's a fair choice because
1: you have to really
0: decide what your lifestyle, what you want your lifestyle to be. For me, what I have gotten the practice of doing is there was a time, especially when I was dealing with a lot of mental health stuff, it was like I could feel myself being very resentful of the situation that I was in. And then I had to remind myself that in my life plans, children were always part of that. Being a good dad was always part of that. So we talked earlier and you said like being a parent is your job, right? Um, Yeah.
1: It's it's the less fun job though right now because we're in the weeds, right? We're in the bit that's, I'm assuming this is the hard bit. This (laughs) is the bit where all our time is gone on the kids. I'm assuming it gets easier when they're out of the house and then we, Supposedly, look back and miss all this shit so much. But right now, all I can see is like, oh my God, they'll be gone one day and I'll have some time. I'll be able to get a good night's sleep. But sorry, to address what you just said, so two things out of that kids are the job. And that's like, I have to make that my mantra because sometimes it feels like I'm just doing everything shit. And maybe the only success I've had in that day is that I did get the kids to dance to taekwondo they did have a meal that had a vegetable in it and they had stories and songs and lots of cuddles before bed maybe that is the best thing that I have done all day and maybe that this will be the best thing I do my whole life maybe at the end of my life no one will give a shit how many articles I've had published or how successful I was or how some social media campaign I designed was really good no one's going to care about that stuff but I'll have these three beings that I have brought up that will look back and say she was a good mom maybe that's the thing right yeah. Right now, right now, that doesn't feel that important. And maybe it is really, really important. But the other thing, I'm very jealous of people that don't have kids. And it's really hard sometimes. Like I told you when we were on Twitter, I could be in Thailand right now on a 10-day tour of Thailand. That A magazine asked me to go and do this tour of Thailand. And I have three kids. I can't do 10 days in Thailand because a day to get there, a day to get back. I would love to have done that. That would have been incredible. But the other reason I can't do it It's Nutcracker weekend next weekend and two of my kids dance. So it's Nutcracker rehearsals Friday night, Saturday and Sunday. And then there's all the other stuff of the week. There's just, I can't take that time out of my life because my kids consume so much of my time.
0: It's a bummer. It's that's, that's real. Um, I I've, I've, yeah. Even for me, like people would say, Oh, it's easy for you. Just set up a, set up a pop-up shop to sell your clothes. I'm like, that's a great idea. When am I going to have time to do that? (laughs) (laughs) though? When the entire Saturday is spent doing all kinds of other. uh... Well,
1: you know what the thing that used to get me, the thing used to piss me off so much is so many people would say to me, you should write a book. J.K. Rowling wrote Harry Potter when she was waiting tables and she was a single mum. Surely you can write a book. And I just feel like, if one more fucking person tells me that JK Rowling wrote a book in her spare time, wait, oh, you know, are you, I me mean, nuts.
0: yeah. Like, so yeah, that said, like these are the kind of things that I deal with all the time as well, where lots of people, you know, casually make suggestions about things that I could do that I'm like, yeah, if I could pull that off, I probably would go through the stratosphere in terms of success. Yeah. Uh, but where is where is the time? Where is, where
1: like... You know what they say, Dwayne? Like, you know, like, a lot of these really successful entrepreneurs, same with writers and everything else, they have really successful upbringings with lots of money coming to them. Like, it's really hard. I don't know about your background. I come from a very working-class family. There's no there was no trust fund. There was no like little bit of extra help, with my mortgage. There's no money that's ever come from anyone but me. So mm-hmm. it's, it's hard sometimes. And I think that maybe people that don't have kids and maybe people that have a bit more financial support in their lives can make these suggestions because that's what they could do. But you know, like um, all that basketball you pay for and the piano lessons and everything else, like that's where your money goes. That's, that's, that would be your rent for your pop-up shop, right? Like, yeah. I yeah. don't have those abilities to do that. There's just a limit. There's only so much of me. There's only so much money. There's only so much time. And when you're giving that time to children and all the other minutiae of their lives, that you know, the doctor's appointments, the running them places, the it's just there isn't the time or, you know, energy to do that. And then if you took some of that time away from them to set up this pop up shop or for me to write the great Canadian novel or whatever, mm-hmm. that's not fair on them either.
0: No, it's not. Yeah. and that's it. That's, they're the priority. Yeah, they're the priority and I never want them to ever feel that my work was more important to me than they were. Yeah. You know, I, I always want them to know that I can, I attend every game I can. I'm yeah. there for every dance recital I can be. Um, you, you don't get
1: that stuff back, right? No.
0: Yeah, you don't, right? Uh,
1: and I, you and I could do these amazing things a little bit later.
0: Yes. Yes, this is true. I, I think that's probably the only thing that keeps me going. But the, <laughs> <laughs> I do have this this other feeling of like, you know, I'm going to die. Like, I'm getting too old for this. And I, I start feeling like I haven't done, you know, I see, especially for me in, in the streetwear game, I'm kind of old in this, to be doing this and i see 20 somethings in the same thing and they're able to go to the clubs and set up shop pop-up shops at parties and they can go to all of these social things and build up credibility with the university students i i can't do that i just and i don't even want to do that anymore so now for me it's also like rethinking what my brand really looks like in terms of that and and can I do more without putting more time um, yeah. and mental bandwidth into, into all of these things?
1: Well, you need to double your rates, Dorian.
0: <laughs> well, yes, that's the other <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing. I don't charge enough. And um, my mo- I
1: will say, so I doubled my rates. Like in the last three years, I've doubled my rates for freelance work for, for like hourly work. Mm. And the first time I did it, like so I was charging maybe this was four years ago, I was charging 50 bucks an hour, right? Because I did a lot of social media contracts, as you know, that was a lot of what I did and um, brand content planning, that kind of stuff. And I was charging 50 bucks an hour, right?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And I was like, this isn't working. This doesn't make sense. So I upped it to 65 an hour. And the first time I sent out a client, like a client asked how much it was and 65 an hour, I was like crapping my pants They were going to say it was too much. And nobody did, right? Mm -hmm. And then, then I asked for $80 an hour the next time. Nobody blinked. And now I'm asking for 90 the people who blink and don't want to pay that are the people I don't want to work with. Yeah. Simple. I'm getting enough people that are willing to pay that and enough people that because, because I work outside of Nova Scotia to enough people, that's kind of cheap. A lot of Mm. my friends who are in the same industry are charging one fifty an hour.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: You know, you're limited. You're not working. It's not like you're working a full week for these people. Yeah so yeah. anyway
0: question yeah. do you do Raising sp- your rates. <laughs> sorry uh do you do speaking engagements
1: um i've spoken at a few conferences but i haven't done speaking engagements mm. okay unless that's kind of the same thing i guess like oh yeah
0: i guess the same thing like conferences i yeah, haven't, haven't
1: been paid for speaking i guess
0: okay this is yeah this is another interesting thing my my sister-in-law is is really in the business coaching industry. Check her okay. out. Episode two. Um and okay. Jones. She um she's been telling me that I need to charge more for speaking. That actually, well I don't I haven't charged <laughs> for speaking.
1: Well I think I was doing an honorary of like a hundred bucks once maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah, same. Um but you know she says she talks she's in, in in the world of a lot of speakers and they they get paid very very well to speak so i have a lot of self-doubts around that so i i've i've been rethinking you know because like you said like when i'm so frustrated i just don't have time for all of these things i don't have time for all the collaborations and yeah all these things that aren't giving me a return so like now i need to really start thinking about you know.
1: Well, that's it as well. Like, so doing stuff you don't get an immediate return for is really difficult. Um, especially for me where I need every penny I get. Um, Life is expensive. It's just nuts. Like I spent a fortune on ballet lessons for my kid and I need all the money I get. So it's hard to do anything where there's no immediate I can bill for that. So I did over the summer, I did write a book actually. I did write a novel, a kid's novel, right? So I wrote a young adult novel and, um, was really nerve-wracking but I was just at a point where I was so frustrated and I felt like something has to change work-wise because as everyone knows magazines are closing, newspapers are closing, my industry is changing all the time and it's getting I'm doing okay but I can see a future where I won't do okay if there's no one that wants to pay for my writing. So I decided I was going to bash out a novel and I wrote a thousand words a day for two months and it came out okay and then I sat on it for a couple of months because I was too scared to do anything with it. And then I sent it to an agent in New York who's going to represent it, which is huge and exciting. Cool. Um, But the idea of writing something and giving an hour of my day for two months that I wasn't getting paid for was really scary. So same with if I wanted to do speaking, which I did think about doing more speaking and more kind of... uh, When they built that big new conference center here,
2: Mm -hmm. I thought
1: maybe that's a good place i could go and do social media presentations and stuff but to do that i would have to have some videos on my linkedin and you'll see i have a couple up there that i did like six second guide to freelancing and things like that it's like you have to put that investment out there to make the money but it's so hard to do that when you have no time anyway
0: yes indeed yes indeed and so it that's becomes, what you said
1: about the pop-up shop there's so many things we could be doing
0: right it becomes a whole different business model or a whole different like Revenue stream that you have to now put another set of energy into. Even this podcast has become that. There are so many more things I could do for the podcast, but the podcast is not the job for me. The podcast, the clothing brand is the job. So, yeah. um, Yeah. It's
1: crazy that you think about how many things we are balancing in our heads compared to people who don't have the artistic drive, though.
0: Right. Right, because we'd be
1: happier people, more fulfilled people, if we didn't have this constant drive to create.
0: Yeah, because you're you're talking about you're you know writing your novel doing a thousand words a day every day. I beat myself up because I keep saying I want to have a more robust collection of paintings and I should be painting every day. It's not hard. Pick up the paint and just put something on canvas. But I, to, to find the. I could find the time if I really, really wanted to. Um, but it would mean less sleep. It would mean less time with the kids. It would yeah. mean, it, it's just something has to get swapped but that's out. Gonna,
1: that's going to affect your mental health, right? You know. So the, today, today, I was like, I bought this productivity planner and I'm trying to use this and trying to be more focused and get more done because I need to get more things done in this limited time that I have. But this morning, I was like, you know what? I feel pretty depressed today actually all I really want to do is sit and watch TV and just lay on the sofa and do nothing Mm because I can't but I never do that and I can't imagine what a luxury that would be to just stop but I feel like there's never a time when I can stop I'm always striving to do something and I feel like I have to feel every little bit of time but maybe that's not right for you and me Dwayne, because maybe the stopping is what we need to actually feel like we're a bit more in control
0: yeah it's true it's true. I, 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 stopped, do...
1: I stopped working on Saturdays recently. That was a big thing for me. I stopped doing any work on Saturdays. I'm trying not to work from Friday evening until Sunday evening.
0: Uh-huh. And
1: then if I have to, I try and tie up on Sunday evenings. But for me, I was working every single day, and I did stop working on Saturdays. I don't do anything on Saturdays, and I haven't noticed any change in my productivity. It's good. Yeah, it's good. because I told so myself.
0: The I would the only I I was I had a no Friday night working rule for a bit. And I've been more or less sticking to it. Um, But then what I end up doing now is I get up at five on Saturday morning and start working until everyone gets up. And then once everyone's up, I can't work anymore. Um, So that was
1: like, that was my dream was I was going to wake up at 5am and start working. And then before anyone gets up, you know, a nice pot of coffee. But like I said, my four year old's up at 5.30 anyway. It's like the minute I step out of that bed, Everyone's on me. The dog starts barking. It's just there's no there's no time for me to grab that extra little bit of magic time in the mornings. I wish there was.
0: Yeah, that's frustrating. My dog is kind of similar. He so when I get up at five, I can't. There's nothing. I have to take him out for a walk, yeah. or he'll yeah. bark and whine yeah. until eternity. So, which is good actually, because it forces me to clear my it's mind. It wakes you up yeah so it's like before i get into the work there's just that like wandering around the neighborhood in a daze and then um, (laughs) i get inside and and i can like do something Uh, yeah but but you know what something you you talked about in terms of i'm gonna think of it as legacy i guess when you you mentioned about like some people coming for money and not necessarily having as many worries so I didn't come from money, but my parents were able to, like, from the time I was born, they started saving for university for me. So they yes. were they were really on board in, in that kind of thing from from a, uh, an early age. Which I was like, I I'm, I get, I have to give my mom most credit for that because she my dad is more of a creative artist like out there type, and she's more okay. like <laughs> about the books. And she's the one who really kept us in line in that way. Um, So because of that, I was able to go to university and not really have any worries because they set me up early. So when I think about my children, that's kind of what I want to do for them. But even on a grander scale, like so that I can take as many, the challenges like teaching them to be responsible adults while taking away certain stresses and barriers that could send them down paths that they might not be able to recover from because
2: right, right.
0: sadly I'm on Twitter I see a lot of folks who just seem like great individuals who have just hit hard times because they made some choices early in their life or because yeah. things just weren't set up for them well from the get-go and they are still trying to recover from those situations in in their forties and fifties. And yeah. um, for, for me, it's like, how do I get, so I, <laughs> this is where I'm also torn because I want to make more money, not necessarily because I just want to be a rich billionaire and ruin the earth. I don't believe that making more money is a way to ruin any, ruin the earth for me i want to make more money so i can improve the earth so i can improve my family's lifestyle so i'm in this like this weird space of like having capitalistic practices but not wanting to ruin things at the same time because i just want my kids to to be safe i just want them to be able to the- I get that.
1: I get that. I, so I, I didn't have to pay for my education either because I was lucky in that I was the last year in England to get a free university education.
0: Whoa. Nice.
1: So just start, the year after I started, they started charging fees for universities. So in England, it was free until that point. I so, didn't, uh,
0: sorry. I didn't know they did that. I didn't even know they had that. Huh. Yeah, you
1: know, I'm trying to look back in like so I would have gone into university in 1996. So, would that have been I don't I don't remember if it was income based or not. But I feel like it was free for everybody because my husband didn't pay for his university either. Okay. We went to university together like the same year, so but I mean there were student loans, but you didn't have to take them. I even got a grant. I even got money every year for university to get to attend. So, that made things easier for me but in terms of saving for my kids university i don't even know like my daughter is nearly 13 and she has an resp like it's the canadian saving plan for university that is run for the government and she has a mm, let me see mm, all of nine thousand dollars in there what's that going to buy her a couple of books (laughs) so you know i don't know and then i have my daughter just got accepted potentially into a ballet school starting in September. So that'd be a private education. I'm so we're certainly not a private education level income family. So what do you do? You just, you work harder, right? Like I've got to work as hard as I can to give my kids those opportunities, just like you. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of hoping that, you know, maybe one of them goes into a trade where they'll make money rather than <laughs> into academics. Cause it's probably better. be a plumber, son.
0: Honestly, like, no shame in that game at all, especially as a homeowner. And I see like, you know, I, I, so you probably had, you had a similar situation with me where, you know, the idea of a university education is really pushed on you and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. With good reason. Uh, but then, you know, as I'm getting stuff done on my house and I see these contractors come along just making tons of money yeah. uh, with their hands and I'm like, Whoa.
1: absolutely my contractors i have i just bought an an old crappy house and the electrician who who comes here and helps me out he used to be an english professor and he went back to school to get his electrical certification or whatever it must be because he's like yeah i was sick and not making any money and now was an electrician
0: Mm. interesting (laughs) yeah interesting yes
1: uh, but yes. Anyway, we work for our children, basically, is what you're saying.
0: Yeah, basically. So, like, I, I always feel a little bit uncomfortable with the anti-money conversation sometimes because I just think, um, I think wh- whoever you are is going to amplify um, whatever you know, whatever money you have is going to just be amplified by whatever shitty individual you happen to be, whether you're broke or not broke.
1: Well, you know, so the, the money conversation, I have run into, I'm part of some writers groups, some women's writers groups that are on Facebook, and um, the money conversation comes up a lot. And I have found that if you try and say that somebody, so somebody will post something like, this this website is offering $50 for a 500-word article. And if you say something like, you don't need to work for that, that's ridiculous. That's How can you live on that? You don't need to make that much, you know, you need to make more money than that. Mm-hmm. I'll have people telling me that it's classist and ableist and and racist because I'm a white woman, that I shouldn't tell people how much money they should take. Like people go nuts over the fact that you should ask for the money you're worth.
2: Right, right.
1: So that's a, it's a really weird space to be in where people are being told that, you know, for the opportunity of writing somebody or the exposure of doing it, you shouldn't really expect to be paid fairly. And that pisses me off so much. Yeah, No, like your words have value your art has value everything you create has value and you shouldn't lower your standards or lower your expectations just because somebody's giving you some kind of opportunity that's bullshit absolutely especially if they're making money off it you know they're selling ads on their website they can be paying you a decent wage or rate to pay to write for them
0: Absolutely.
1: I don't think that you and I are highfalutin people thinking we're better than other people for expecting to be paid what we're worth.
0: No, no, not at all, not at all. And I think that's what really got me started with the Art Pays Me thing from the early days. It was because, you know, it's it's funny, We, we often bash corporations and I think for good reason, but the majority of abuse I got was from small business owners who were trying to get away with paying me pennies or nothing at all while they were getting paid to hire me through a third party. (laughs) So um, for me, and then the second, you know, I would try to stand up for myself and say, well, I think I should be paid more than this, then it would become like, I was the one same, just like, like you said, it was, I should be happy that this opportunity was coming to me. Um, I should be taking it. I was going to get exposure. I'm passing up on a great opportunity and yada, yada, yada.
1: Like you're taking something from them, right? Like you're somehow stealing something from them by you not wanting to do what they want you to do.
0: Right. While well, they get paid and I don't.
1: <laughs> I don't know if you remember like, I got into this stupid row on Twitter recently So I just put a tweet out and I was like, for the love of God, can business owners just take an iPhone photo of their business or themselves at their business if the national magazine reaches out to you and needs a photo? And then, like, from that seemingly innocent comment where I had all these editors going, yes, please, how hard is it for people to take a photo these days? Mm. I got slammed by photographers. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Right? How dare you say this? What those magazines need to do is hire a photographer who's going to take a proper picture of that business. So the magazine has a decent photo. And it's like, I'm not the magazine. I'm not the one who's paying for a photographer to come out. Like, you know, magazines aren't paying photographers anymore. It's not my fault. I'm the writer. I'm trying just as hard as everyone else to get work at magazines. And you're piling on me because a magazine won't pay a photographer to take a picture of a business. It was just so nuts. And you know, people want to pick on the person they think is gonna listen, I guess, maybe.
0: Yeah, maybe that's what it is actually. Because yeah. the corporation is a faceless Twitter account. So I mean people still send and
1: people. Don't it. And they give a shit and they know they're anyway. And they probably don't have the balls to send up to the corporation in case that corporation one day throws them a bone, maybe. <laughs>
0: yeah. People are funny. People people are very interesting.
1: <laughs> they sure are. And so, probably us creative people are probably the worst. We we're probably absolute worst, Dwayne.
0: No, like... <laughs> 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 Absolutely worst. Like, yeah, why would you love what you do and expect to get paid for it? I mean... <laughs> you should hate your job and your life like everyone else.
2: Yeah, there you
0: go. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lola, we, we basically had a rant fest uh, for this yeah. episode, which... I, I think I needed it. So thank you for the therapy.
1: Well, uh, yeah, you know, like, likewise. And I think that um, the messages we send back and forth occasionally, knowing that we're in the same situation and that we both find all of this really, really hard is helpful. Yes. We're not the only ones suffering. It feels good to know that.
0: Yeah, actually, oh, so and we didn't mention this, but we actually, you no, know, we first met on Twitter and then it turned out our daughters were in, in the same uh, preschool class. Yeah. So it was like, we knew each other in real life. (laughs) Yeah, it was weird. You've been to your house. You've been to my house. That's right.
1: Yeah, a long time ago. Before before we had more kids and life got so hard that we don't have a social life anymore, we knew each other socially, damn it.
0: Yeah, right? I mean, yeah, it is so hard. It's so hard to have a social life these days. And I feel like such an asshole when I'm saying no all the time to things.
1: Oh, me too. Or like the parties, the parties I get invited to and people are like, yeah, I'm having a housewarming party, nine o'clock till one. It's like, really? I mean, you have to, I have to drive. I have to pay 60 bucks for a babysitter and drive to your house and then come home and be home at two. And then my kids are up in the morning and life doesn't stop and I don't want to come out.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes it's just easier to just stay home and get that rush of excitement from finishing a project that you have been working on for
2: yeah, so. yeah. So, that is
0: so sad it's like I'm I get so excited when I finish like typing up a paragraph of promotional material or something
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's like it's off your plate right
0: oh man so if if there was any advice you would give to actually is there anything else you want to rant about before we go
1: I guess just that people aren't charging enough for their work. And when they do that, it makes our jobs look like they're not worth as much as they should be. You know what I mean? Preach. You're looking to undercut everyone else to get the work. You're just doing yourself a disservice in the long term, in the long run.
0: You know, actually, how do you feel about Fiverr and these types of, because I think the writing industry is getting hit by those the same. I
1: think it's terrific, really. I mean, I don't know. Okay, so I feel like I've worked with clients who will say to me things like, well, we don't we just want a website design and then we're going to get this company in Bangladesh to build it because they'll build it for a hundred bucks or something like that right? Yeah. And you must run into that kind of stuff as well I and do. if you're going to get somebody to build something and you're going to take that work outside of Canada to somebody who's going to build it for pennies basically you get what you pay for Always, always. It's always pay now or pay later. (laughs) Right. So I don't know. I feel like Fiverr and things like that. They're awful. They're really awful. I feel like the whole sharing economy is awful for everybody. Um, all these things that were supposed to make money for freelancers, like I don't remember remember like Elance and all these portals and shit like that. They've never made me any money. I've never done them. I don't want to be undercut. I don't like None of this stuff is good for freelancers. I wish the sharing economy would just disappear completely. Mm -hmm. I wish, almost wish social media would disappear, which is messed up because I've met so many good people on it, but I feel like it's a distraction and it's killing us in many ways. I feel like I'd like to go back to a simpler time of none of this stuff taking up our brain space and people paying for work and paying a decent wage and things being easier for freelancers I I'm not saying it was ever easy, but I know that ten years ago I didn't have to work this hard to make this
0: much money. Mm. I guess. Interesting. Interesting.
1: That's
0: a rant. Interesting. <laughs> now, as as uh, Mark Bricky from Adventures in Design, it's another podcast I listen to. Uh, He calls it the race to the bottom, and everyone seems to be competing to get there.
2: Yeah, uh, I could see that.
0: Because it's you know we're all in these in in these types of companies, like you're just competing with who can charge the least amount of money for a non-livable wage and um, spending more and more of your time to make less, which is going to lead to all of us in poverty. I'm at the, like, when I hire a photographer friend to do my stuff, I pay them, not be, and I could probably, you know, get away with not paying them, but I want to pay them. And I can't even friggin' afford. It.
1: <laughs> yeah, same here. Like I got like my my headshots. At, uh, I got them done at like, head, You know Liam.
2: Yes, yes, well,
1: yes. Like he did my headshots, and like it was a couple of years ago, and I should probably get new ones. But like you know, you pay what they're worth because you support other people the same way you want to be supported. But I, I like I know that when it came to paying for those, I was like, shit, I can't afford this. I'll find this money from here and da da da. Because you know you pay for quality. Because that's the life I want to lead. I want to lead a life where I'm making quality stuff. Whether you assign me something and you'll pay me $200 or you'll pay me $2,000, you get the same quality of work every time.
0: Yeah, exactly. I have pride in
1: what I do. And I I think that how can you have pride in what you do when somebody's paying you $20 to design a company logo?
0: Right. Right. And then when, you know, a real professional tries to quote on it, people think you're... Ridiculous for
1: you're, you're uh, having a laugh. Ryan. How would you charge? How do you charge that much? It's ridiculous. <laughs> I can get someone in India to do this for five bucks,
0: right? They'll yeah, give me twenty
1: designs tomorrow, all scalable.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I yeah, and I have literally had those conversations with people. Why would I pay? I you?
1: do find though, the more successful I get and the bigger clients I get, that stuff has fallen by the wayside for me because it's almost like you reach a certain level. And that stuff falls away because the kind of clients that I have right now would never even consider doing that kind of shit. Like they want the best quality things for their company or for the.
0: So they're paying for Lola right now. They're not paying for a writer. They're paying for Lola.
1: I guess. Yeah, I guess that's true. And so having a little bit of a name for myself, I guess, like it's weird to say that obviously because we're not supposed to big ourselves up, right? Mm -hmm. But I was told for example, recently, I was told I was one of the top travel writers in Canada, wow. which feels awesome, right? Yeah. I don't know how I got to that point or whatever, but having that, that means that if people are like, oh, who do you know that's a travel writer? And they're saying my name, I guess I'm at a point where that's happening.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And like I said, like I'm at a point where magazines are emailing me and saying, could you go to Thailand for me for 10 days? Which feels incredible. Yeah. Or, you know, I get in my inbox, I get at least two or three invites a week to go somewhere for a destination or for a magazine and do some work. So if I didn't have kids, imagine how fun my life would be.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You'd be one of those, um, you, you'd have, uh, you'd be, um, what are they travel bloggers or I can't remember what they are, but it's. Well,
1: you know, like I have travel writer friends who write for magazines and newspapers that, that don't even keep a home anymore. They just constantly travel. Yeah. And then my friend Tim is like, He's out like on a butlered cruise of the Nile and do all this crazy fancy shit that I just can't do because I have children. But I feel like we have to like at least end this by saying, having children makes us really happy on a deep level, right?
0: Yes, you know what? I'm glad you brought it back to that because I don't want people to, to walk away from this who are maybe considering having a family who are like, uh, I don't want children after this. <laughs>
1: Uh, My kids are amazing. My kids are fantastic, and they're wonderful human beings who do complete me in a way that I would like to say that work probably never did. Maybe other people would have a different experience of this, but all the hustle, the constant work, the constant juggle of getting everything done is worth it because. At the end of it all, I have three beautiful children who adore me and they're pretty much like my stalkers, which is weird at times, but, you know, that's how they are. But I also have a career that makes me really, really happy.
0: Yeah. You know what? I would I would echo the exact same thing. I mean, I see I see bits and pieces of me in both my kids. Um, right. Uh, in terms of creativity, Ella, Ella's more creative in terms of music, how she expresses herself but she has a lot of my athletic um, ability that I had when I was her age. And Ava is very strong in the visual arts side, but both of them are way more academically smart than I ever was. (laughs) And (laughs) the idea that I'm raising, and they're both actually athletically gifted in ways that I'm not. So it's like the idea that I get to raise children or people, other humans that could be a better version of myself is like, the reward that uh, it just keeps giving, and I think the reason why we're frustrated sometimes is because of that. Because you know, if we were bad parents, if we didn't care, then this would be actually not that hard. It would just be like yeah,
1: you're right, you're right. They, and they think they, the, the thrill that you get when your kid achieves something is like nothing else. Like. So this month's been like, one of my friends was saying, well, this month's been incredible. Like, cause obviously I had an agent in New York take on that novel I'd written. Right. Which is huge and huge. But yeah. <laughs> two weeks later, when I got the email, like the email from the Alberta ballet school, it said, congratulations. Your talent has been recognized. I'm tearing up telling you that line because the amount of joy that I got from that email from my daughter surpassed getting the email from the agent. Right. Which is weird, right? Because I've written a novel and Angel wants it. But the fact that my daughter is succeeding so much, that, that means so much more to me.
0: Yeah. Because like we, like we said, it was like about we want our kids to, well, actually something you said to me before, you, this could possibly mean she has the opportunity to live that full creative life. Yeah. Um, we have been striving for ourselves to get paid yeah. making art. Making being creative,
1: well, She could be on the path to be in, having a full time dance career, like she's not even, she'll be 13 if she gets into this school and she will go to school in Calgary, which is a five hour flight from where we live, right? Dwayne, mm-hmm. it's like five hours and 20 minutes to to Calgary. Uh, and yeah. the idea of sending my kid out into the world at 13 to do this with the potential that at 16, 17, 18, she could be an actual professional dancer is scary. But it's the most wonderful thing that like the idea that this kid that everything I've been working for for the last 12 years has come to this point in this, this child, this potential that I have been feeding and spending all my money on ballet for all this time. Like the outcome is incredible, right? The outcome that you have created. Our daughters and our sons are going to go on to do things in our lives that we could never have imagined doing. Yeah because of how hard we work at this, because we give a shit and we're such hardcore parents and we work so hard and they see that. They see that you don't clock out at five o'clock, right? They mm-hmm. see that you're there with your laptop at basketball games and you're trying to get shit done. They see how hard you work for the things you have and they they know they have that work ethic.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> go you, us. You just, yeah, we, we're not so bad. And then we
1: drop dead and tiredness. <laughs>
0: 52. <laughs> yeah. Man, I feel much better about myself because half the time I feel like a shitty everything. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know,
1: but I bet people look at your life and they look at my life and they're like, Yeah, right. Well, they don't see the hard stuff, right? Like, especially when they see this they see the successes, they don't see the work.
0: Yeah, that was well, the social media bullshit. It's you know There's people, so
1: many people say, say to me, I don't know how you do it all. And I, yeah, I get like, that a lot I don't know how I do it all either I don't fucking stop working
0: <laughs> Yeah because if you saw it you'd be like oh this is a complete mess And I'm like, yeah, yeah. it's a complete mess. I wake up yeah. every day not knowing what the hell I'm doing
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. uh, So where can people find you online?
1: Oh yeah so lolaaugustine.com. On um, Twitter and Instagram at Lola Augustine. L O L A A U G U S T I N E.
0: Okay, great. This was fun, Lola. We got to do it again sometime.
1: Yeah, you and I should actually go for lunch, or like I know. me and Natasha. We should all meet up and talk about how bloody hard it is raising kids.
0: Yeah, seriously, because it's been too long since we have kept connected. Let's
1: do it. All right.
0: Good. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much for listening to the Art Pays Me podcast. Thank you to Langie Beats for the theme music. If you got anything out of this show, please rate, review, and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. The more you do this, the more reach the podcast gets, and the more artists I can help learn to make a living at what they love. If you want to know more about what I do, hit me up at ArtPaysMe.com or at ArtPaysMe on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Pinterest. See y'all next time.